Well, man, there is something about those songs that resonate with something true in, in life, isn't it? The idea that somebody would be there for you, whether you're having a, a bad week, a bad year, or a bad month, or you're stuck in second gear. We, we want to be in relationships and friendships and marriages and families that people be with us during challenges. There's also something about that last song. Man, all of us are seeking something, some next step in our journey. Might be seeking to be a better mom, a better daughter a better leader. It might be seeking more significance because we've had success. It might be seeking success because we haven't got there yet. Or it might be deeper spiritual truths. What happens when you die? I love that line in that Who song. I won't get what, I, what, what I'm after until the day I die. But I'm longing for answers to the bigger questions. So in our series, Well Connected, we're talking about those themes and those ideas. And we're also looking at you know, what's Horizon really about? And so our mission statement, why we do what we do, I want to give you a chance today to look behind the curtain. And some organizations, you look behind the curtain and you're like, I think I'm not going to eat there anymore. I think I'm not going to attend there anymore. I hope today you're going to get a clear look behind the curtain and go, wow, now I understand why I love what goes on here at this place and why it meets the needs of my family. Our mission statement's really clear, but it's just so simple and so profound. We're trying to comfortably... Keyword comfortably connect people to God through the Bible and a community, somebody who will be there for you, of growing Christ followers. And there's a real challenge we have because we're trying to do it comfortably, but one of our values is challenging Bible teaching. So today I want to talk about how we try and blend these two oppositional forces, comfort and challenge, into the same environment. And I hope you find that today. But to do that, I want you to hear a story of some friends who've been attending our church, who volunteer here. And so can we give a warm horizon welcome to my friend, Wayne and Shelley. Come on down. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Chuck. Hi. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Well, tell us a little bit about, you said about a year ago, I remember you saying, hey, Chad, I think I'm finally ready to share our story. And so tell us just a little bit about individually both of your spiritual journeys. So Wayne, tell us a little bit about your journey first. Okay, before I start, I want to preface that I asked Chad to put wheels on my chair so he could give me the hook if I go off the rails. <laughs> we shut the trap door in too, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I grew up in Rhode Island uh, in the 50s, so I grew up in a Christian family. And uh, like many families I, I think I've talked to over the years, uh, as I went to college and on, uh, I became further away from the church. Uh, involved, in, never really got deeply involved in the Bible. And uh, as we, we've been together 34 years now and married um, and traveled all over the country and we would find churches. We always found a church, but we never really got deeply involved in the church and I never really dug deep into uh, deep, the, the learnings of the Bible in Christ. And, and uh, when we came to Cincinnati, we came from Santa Monica. That was the last journey across the country. We've been in Boston, New York. We've been a lot of places. Uh, uh, my daughter's here today. She's uh, traveled with us through that journey. But Cincinnati, something changed. And I always knew that God was taking me to where I was aspiring to go. Shelley was aspiring to go, but was too much focused on our success and just getting to the next level. And yet each place we got, a, I got a little deeper into, uh, into the church, but not involved anywhere near the way I am today at Horizon. So when we got here, uh, unlike other places we went, where it was very difficult for us to find a church sometimes, and we finally did, and we maybe go at best 20 times out of the year, uh, 
we, when we came here after two, one try, I was going by Church Road, and I said, wow, is that a resort or a church? <laughs> <laughs> and we, we came the next Sunday, and that was it. We yeah. found our place. I've never seen a place that is so warm with over 3,000-plus members that you feel like you could know every one of them and its family. So we got involved, came to church, and we were coming now religiously to church. And I was, we were both getting a message, and I was getting a, a deep, different message that Shelley will talk to. But we left with a message, and we never did that before. We would go to church first, check mm-hmm. in the box, and then we'd go do our Sunday stuff. Um, and then all of a sudden, as some of you might have witnessed in this church, uh, I led to becoming an usher and was trained at that. Uh-huh. And I enjoy that immensely on Saturdays in the equipping service. Then I was challenged to say, Wayne, why don't you go to a Bible study? Yeah. So, okay, it's a little stretch. Yeah. And now for the last, going on three years, we've been involved in a, a, a wonderful Bible study. And I'm getting deep into the Bible. Uh, I read passages every day that I'm not traveling, and that's most of the time. And it's been great. And then Cancun. Shelly gave me a present for Christmas and gave me the mission trip, and that did it. That opened it up, and then uh, after that I was baptized here. And uh, I'm in. I'm full in, and I'm having a, it's just been a great journey. And I love what you said last night. You said, it's not like I just uh, got converted to going to church. You said, you know, I, had, I was going to church my whole life, but I didn't really know God. And now you feel like you know God. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and that's where my prayers in the past... And as guilt-ridden as I felt, I was only asking for something, whether I was in trouble and I needed some guidance to get out of it, or some people in my family might not have been doing well, and I prayed for them. And that was it. I was always asking, never really having a conversation. Now I'm really deeply asking God, where do you want me to go? Um, he's taken me to City Gospel through Horizon, and I'm involved. I was involved with the Heritage Addiction Program, Recovery as a mentor, and then uh, a Jobs Plus. Now I'm deeply involved with WizKids which is great. It's young children who are at risk uh, with uh, heroin-addicted parents, probably, in most cases, and that's been phenomenal. I, I, I feel I want to focus on youth to catch them early with trying to sure. get a recovering addict that might be 30 or 40 years old, and, and that's where I want to put my passion in. I've gotten involved in the... Uh, I'm going to have to stop you there, because I have a yeah. feeling he's going to go for an hour of all the things he's been involved in. So, <laughs> Shelly, tell us about your journey. It's my life. <laughs> 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 Tell us a little about your journey. Where, where are you sure. at, and where, where, how has Horizon been helpful to you, and uh, what's your journey been like? Um, so I'm a little different than Wayne. Uh, we have great debates. Um, I am a uh, wannabe believer, um, so I am in constant exploration, and I probably am the first person to buy the book that comes out that's, you know, what's it like to live um, when you die, what happens to you, all those mm-hmm. types of things. So constantly reading, whenever there's a class to explore religion, I'm going, but I haven't quite gotten to the level that he's at. Yeah, and how has, uh, so Horizon, obviously we're a, a Protestant Bible teaching church. Yeah. Um, how has that served you in your, as you said, wannabe believism? Um, how yeah. has that helped you in your life, and why do you keep coming each week? Well, we come to this service, obviously, um, and the reason is is because as a mom, as a wife, as a leader, um, I feel like I walk away with practical application advice. Mm. Gotcha. Like every time I come out, I want to be a better person, I want to be a better leader, I want to be a better mom, and so when I leave here, I always feel like there's one tidbit um, that I can actually go and apply mm. in my life, and that you know, serves me really well right now. Yeah, so even if you don't necessarily believe the premises behind it, the practical application is what's helpful Absolutely. for you. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Now, we say this a lot, but I know a lot of people also don't 
realize it. So we have four services, and two of them are 100% different from the other one, other two. And so we have an equipping service and exploring service, one of which we do music you might recognize from the radio like we did. There was yeah. no religious music. There was no communion. There was no standing. There was no songs that you, you're singing to God. Um, so that's what we just did in our exploring service that you come to. And then we have another service called the equipping service. I did a totally different message that I'm going to give last. And we do uh, communion, prayer. We do songs you're singing to God for like 25 minutes. How has that two-service model served your family with where you guys are in your journey? Uh, I, I'm engaged in both because I usher on Saturday, so I go to the equipping and I enjoy that immensely. It's totally different. It's much more of a Bible study and, and deep-rooted uh, learning uh, about Christ and, and uh, applying that to your life. And then I obviously go on Sunday uh, with uh, my family, and uh, Courtney's at college now, but with uh, Shell every Sunday to the exploring. Totally different service. The exploring is, is much more, always leave with a good message, but lighter. Yeah. It's... it's uh, Bible light, mm-hmm. and uh, yet your message is always there, and it ties into the Bible, but it's more subliminal. <laughs> so much deeper-rooted, uh, yeah. you know, s- a service in the uh, in the equipping, and, and I enjoy both. Awesome. How about for you? Well, Lane always says, what do you say, I'm on a, a Christian and training wheels or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. So I come to this first one again because I, it, it, it's not so deep for me. And again, it's really about life and living a better life and um, doing good things in your life. So that helps me every day. Well, that's awesome. Well, I know many times there's many people who are exploring their faith in our church and they feel like, well, I, I don't want to get up in front of other people because that's embarrassing or that's anything. I, I just am so honored that you felt... Um, that we take that trust very, very humbly, yeah. that you would trust us and you trust us to come and share your story today. So appreciate your bravery. Appreciate both of you sharing. Yeah. Can we give them a warm horizon? Thanks for being brave today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Kelly, uh, thank, thank you. Well, you know, when people ask me to describe horizon, what are we about? What are we trying to do? Um, usually I pull out a napkin. I don't talk about the church. I don't talk about denomination. We're non-denomination. I don't talk about the building. I say, let me tell you what Horizon's really about. I pull out a napkin and I say this. We're all on a spiritual journey. And I'll draw this on a napkin. You can go ahead and put it up on the screen. And I say, you know, usually we're all moving one step at a time. Wherever you are, what is your next step professionally? What's your next step relationally? What's your next step spiritually? Whatever it is. And usually progress or growth in our life happens one step at a time. You know, usually it doesn't happen. It's not like a light switch. I looked into that, came to some conclusions, convinced of that, not convinced of that. And then maybe a few years later, you look into something else. Hey, I learned something else made me a better dad or made me a better, a better spouse. And so we really try and respect the journey that people are taking one step at a time. We also try and recognize that all of us are different places in our journey. And we respect each other's differences. We respect each other's differences of opinion. And so what we try and do is say, wherever you are, we want to try and share, honestly, why we've come to the conclusions we have and how it might be beneficial to you. You can believe whatever you want at Horizon, but we're going to try and share why we've come to some conclusions about Jesus, God, and the Bible, and we'd love to dialogue about that. Doubts about that, objections about that. But even this isn't success. Success is not you getting to a place that you've come to all your conclusions, whatever they are. It's saying, hey, I know how to build friendships and how to have conversations with people who come to different conclusions, maybe a few steps differently than me. And I know how to connect with people and have genuine friendships with people who disagree with me on things. And we can talk about that and engage in that. 
And so what our church is really about is this, representing people's steps in their journey and learning how to invest in other people wherever they are in their journey. So to do that, we create three types of environments, what we call our exploring environment for those who might consider themselves rookies or wannabe believers or just checking it out or even antagonistic. I've had people cuss while I was speaking one time, um, and one of our elders is like, this is good stuff. We're getting the right people here. They, they don't buy into what you're saying. So we're encouraged by that. So we try and create environments for people to explore. Now, it's challenging Bible teaching, as you're going to see today. We're going to dig into the Bible. But we try and represent that anticipate questions you might have. We create connecting environments. You might say, hey, listen, I don't care what people believe. I just want some friends. I want to be able to know some other dads who are going through similar situations or other moms who are struggling with teenagers. I want to have some people I can feel like I can call when I'm going through uh, a crisis or just want to go play golf with. So we want to create places you can connect. And then we have what we call our equipping environments. And that's why we have an equipping service that is totally different from our exploring service. These are for Bible veterans, 20-year Bible veterans. I want to go deeply into the Bible. We spent 35 minutes this morning covering four verses of the Bible of these two parables Jesus told, looking at all the Old Testament context of that. Still very high application, but communion, prayer, you're singing songs to God, and you would say it's a little bit less, a little more participatory versus here gives you a chance just to sit back and watch and decide. And so this is really what our church is about. But if you were to summarize it, Horizon is really a place that we're trying to help thinkers believe and we're trying to help believers to think. We have a lot of thinkers who come to our church. And those thinkers say, hey, I want to believe some stuff, but I'm not going to just accept something at face value. I think through things in the rest of my life. Why would I not think through things in my spiritual life? So we want to help thinkers believe, and we want to help believers think. And many of the reasons thinkers don't believe is because they've come across believers who don't seem to think very much. And you ask them tough questions, and they say, I just believe. I just have faith. And you're like, well, that sounds like idiocy. Can you give me reasons for it? So I'm hoping today to pull back the curtain so you can realize why we do what we do and realize it's very intentional. It comes directly out of the Bible. There's no hidden agenda. And I hope that this isn't like finding out how hot dogs are made. It's like, ooh, I don't eat hot dogs anymore. I hope you find out why we do what we do and you're like, wow, how refreshing. That's exactly why I love this church. So I'll look at both those parts. How do we try and help thinkers believe or at least help you on the progress of the journey wherever you are? How do we do that? Well, part of it is we just build friendships. I remember my friend Scott. He started attending in 2007. And Scott was an ER surgeon. He built his life on a career, had a very successful career, good house, good family. He just never had time for spiritual matters. Finally got to a place he started asking us questions. He, just like Wayne, started into Bible studies. He eventually started enjoying the Bible. He never saw himself in a Bible study. And I remember one day we did a funeral for his aunt. It was just he and John Kirby and I over the grave of his aunt. And I began to describe that Christians believe in the bodily resurrection. That because she believed in Jesus, because Jesus raised himself bodily from the dead, that one day he could see his aunt again with a brand new body. And that heaven, you're not a spirit, you're not energy, you're a real person in a real place with a real body. He says, really? That's what Christians believe. And we just had this great conversation. Even though he called himself a Christian... He believed in Jesus. He didn't yet believe that we were bodies in heaven. Maybe he's never going to believe it. We just had a great discussion. And through those discussions, he became convinced that the evidence supported Jesus bodily raised from the dead and that he one day could be as well. And I was so glad we had that conversation because several years later, there was a tragedy and he died in his front yard at a very young age, leaving 
a very young family. And to be able to say with confidence that I was part of his journey, that he could know for sure that he was in a place at Horizon where he could think through and ask questions in that belief so that I will one day get to see my friend Scott again. And we were intentional about how we did that. And how we did that comes directly out of how Paul did that in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. Here's just some of the steps to help thinkers believe. Paul would show up in a neighborhood and he would talk to people who believed totally different from him. And the first thing he used is reason and explanation. He didn't say just believe it. He didn't say the Bible says it. He used reason and explanation to persuade people. They came to Thessalonica and Paul, as his custom was, it's his custom, what does he always do? He went into them. He went to talk to people who didn't believe the way he did. And for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them. He reasoned. Here's why I've come to the conclusion. He didn't preach at them. He didn't bark at them. He didn't scream at them. He reasoned with them. From the scriptures. Here's why I've come to the conclusion from the Bible. We're going to also see how he reasoned without the Bible. From philosophy. He explained his points. He demonstrated that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. Now that's a weird thing. Like why is that so important? That's a reasonable question. Paul could explain why the bodily death and resurrection of Jesus was not least a part of Christianity, the essence of Christianity. And... The Jesus to whom I preached you is the Christ. He showed fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament. And some of them were persuaded. I notice it's just some. Not everybody was persuaded. He just tried to share the conclusions he came to. And they came to some conclusions. And of the ones who were persuaded, a great multitude of them were devout Greeks. These were prominent people. And if you know anything about the Greeks, they believed in Zeus and Apollo and Demeter and many, many other gods. And so... Part of his journey was demonstrating why the conclusions he came to, based on what he saw and he looked at, were different from theirs. Now, if you know anything about Zeus, for example, you might think the idea that God is always good is a common idea in all religions. God loves you, he cares for you, all religions basically teach the same thing. Well, not if you're a Greek. Uh, If you're a Greek, uh, Zeus's dad was a pretty insecure guy, he was one of the titans, and he was afraid that his son Zeus was going to take over the kingdom. So uh, his dad, Cronos, uh, ate all of his kids. Now, if you don't know the, the story, he eats all of his kids. Um, and so he swallows them all up, you know, Hades and the rest. And thank goodness, uh, Zeus swaps out a rock. And so he thinks he swallows Zeus, but he ends up swallowing a rock. And then Zeus one day gets raised and he comes back and he gives some serp epitaph to his dad, Titan, who throws up his brothers and they lead a rebellion against their dad. All right. So that's the Greek religion. Yeah, there's a lot more to it, but that's it. And so just the idea that all religions teach God is love, that is not necessarily true. That's something to wrestle with. But even in that idea, I think many people would say, well, I know that in general, uh, God loves everybody. But there's a big difference between the concept of God loves everybody and seeing that demonstrated. What Paul was showing is, it's one thing to say God loves everybody. It's one thing to say, well, he did it. Think about this Veterans Day. Isn't there a difference between somebody saying, I'd be willing to serve, but I never have, and somebody who really has served? And he's saying the fact that God came to earth, that says something. He's not just something he did something about. He put his money where his mouth is. And he was willing to to die for you. Even if you don't believe it, you see how it feels different to go, if it was God, if he came, to God to really die for me is more than just in general he loves everybody, like mom loves everybody. Think of it this way. When I was in uh, Chicago, my wife and I had this park we'd always go to. It was called Olive Park. So we'd always have dates at Olive Park. It's got a reflection pool of Lake Michigan. I never knew what it was named after. Several years ago, I looked at uh, one of the signs that I'd walked past a hundred times, and it said it was named after Milton Olive. 
Milton Olive was an African-American in 1964-ish, I believe, who joined the army. And he was going through the jungles of Vietnam with four of his buddies. And all of a sudden, as they're working their way through the jungle, with no time to think about it, with no time to respond or react, a grenade lands right there in the middle of the four of them. Now, did they love each other? Yes. Did they go through boot camp together? Yes. Did they, did they uh, have that camaraderie of being in, in, the, in the armed forces together? Yes. But Milton is the one who jumped and threw his body on that grenade and was killed instantly, saving the life of his three buddies. So much so that he got the Medal of Honor from President Johnson. His family was given that. And that park that my wife and I walked through for dates for most of our college career was a constant reminder of those who died before us. Now, on Veterans Day, we don't celebrate those who died for us. We celebrate those who are willing to serve for us, who are serving for us. And so thank you for those who, who are serving, whose family are serving. And there's something about that, right? Even on Veterans Day, you say, the act that somebody would go and risk themselves for me means something more than just we all love everybody all the time. And Paul's demonstrating that. The idea that God would come and die for you is like, if it's true, it's a big deal that God throws himself on the grenade for you. And these are the kind of ways that Paul would try and demonstrate and reason with the conclusions he came to. In fact, we did a a study several years ago, and we did a survey that many of you went through, and we found that of those attending Horizons Exploring Service at 10 and 1110, it's 50% more than most populations in education. Meaning, compared to most congregations in the country, we are 50% higher on those who have master's degrees and doctorate degrees. We're a place that has thinkers. We also found in that same survey that we had 50% lower than normal on biblical education. It's because we've spent the last 20 years trying to build a career. We didn't have time to get into the Bible. We didn't have time to get into those kind of things. It's not that we don't have interest. We're just busy. We're busy people doing busy things. So we found we had a lot of thinkers who wanted to investigate, but they actually said, but I really haven't had time and I'm kind of embarrassed because I don't want to feel like I'm a novice. So how do we create an environment that says, that's okay, wherever you're at, just start now. Just start now. Second thing Paul did is he focused on internals over externals. And if there's one thing that will turn you off about religion, it's when it's all about externals. Don't do this, do do that. Here's your list of six do's. Here's your list of do don'ts. And the whole religious thing becomes about do's, right? Do, 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 don't, don't, don't. It's all about do, do. You feel like you're stepping in do, do all the time. It's like, no wonder people don't like religion. And they say, I really don't like organized religion. And I'll tell you, I don't either. And having been in it for 25 years, it's not that organized. Let me just tell you that to begin with. And secondly, um, Jesus was hostile to religion. And he focused on internals over externals. And Paul does this as well. He says, I've come to talk to you a little bit, and I've noticed that your city's given over to idols. Now, now what does that mean? Well, why do I keep getting mad at my wife? Why am I so impatient? I could work on the externals, try to be a better person, but I've tried that. You're not going to fix the external till you go to the internal. Which is, what is, what is that thing the Bible calls an idol that I've allowed to control my life? If you can't answer the internal question, you're never going to solve the external question. If career is the thing that controls my life, I might want to be a better wife or, or, or husband, but it's always going to be trumped by my career. And until I deal with the fact that my career can be a good thing, but not the ultimate thing, I'm never, no matter how much classes I take or habits I learn, I'm never going to fix it. If you're like me and you have a tendency to take a good thing like pleasing other people, and turn that into your God, your, your internal control, traffic control tower. 
You can say, I know God likes me. But when people are mad at you, you get very, very uh, turmoil inside you and fear inside you. Because internally, what really controls you is being a people pleaser. If you're a worrier, you could say, stop worrying. You've tried that. Has that worked? It hasn't worked. Because you really believe you need to control the universe by thinking about all possible scenarios. And until you deal with that internal problem of you trying to control your own universe, you're never going to fix the external. Until you realize, no, I think I'm beginning to believe there might be someone who's not me who controls the universe that I can trust. Then I can stop worrying because every time it comes up, I go, hand it over to this person. And so Paul would talk about idols a lot. And it was this idea of until you focus on what's going on the internal side of you, you're never going to fix the externals. It's much deeper than just be a better person. And he would do this in several ways. In fact, in this passage, he's talking in two different environments. He reasoned, again, notice the word reasoned. He reasoned in the synagogue. He talked to people who didn't agree with him who were religious. They had religious idols. Their good deeds and church attendance became their idol. They don't need God to be their forgiver. They're good enough themselves. And he reasoned with them to say, your good works and religion are inadequate for God. That's quite a conversation. Then he would have a conversation with people who were irreligious. And he talked to them, not in the synagogue, but in the marketplace. It was a daily conversation with the Gentile worshipers. They were called God-fearers, believers in Zeus and Demeter, who said, hey, I want to hear about your God. So you're saying your God wants to rescue me from my good deeds that I think are good enough but aren't, and rescue me from my bad deeds that are worse than I think. That's a weird message. And that's the main message of the Bible. And you've got to wrestle with both sides. Becoming a Christian means I realize my good deeds aren't good enough, and I realize my bad deeds are worse than I think. Both cannot get me acceptance for God. Somebody who has bad deeds says, I know better than God what's right and wrong. Somebody who has good deeds says, I don't need God to be my forgiver because I'm good enough. I'm a justifier myself. And so Paul would reason with people to see if they could conclude that God could be their forgiver. And that was sort of the process he went through. Then Paul would often explain, and he would move from the known to the unknown. Like every good teacher, like every good communicator. He started with, well, what do you know? And let's take what you do know, and we'll transfer that to this new communication technique. You know something like this? Well, what I'm talking about is something like that. So he walks into their city in Athens, and he stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. You're, you're seeking out truth. You're trying to find answers. As I was passing through, I was considering, I was looking into, getting to know your world, your objects of worship. I even found an altar with an inscription to the unknown God that you represent, even though there's Zeus and all these people, there still might be another God out there that's unknown that we're trying to figure out. So Paul said, I'm starting with where you're at, and I want to tell you that unknown God, I, I might know something about unknown God I want to talk about. And he would move from the known to the unknown. So he references where they're at. In fact, one of the things I try and do in this service and the equipping service is I think a lot of times people put the Bible in the category of Aesop's fables. And it may be. I don't believe that. But you may come to that conclusion. But what I want you to let the Bible speak for itself. It claims to be history. So it, it claims it. So if it's history, then Paul should have at some point in history gone to the Areopagus in Athens. And if we go to Athens, we should find an Areopagus if this book is true. And if we go there, we should be able to find a tomb to an unknown god, maybe, in the rubble. So that's one of the ways you can find out if a document is true, is is there any supporting evidence outside of there? And sure enough, if you go to Athens even today, you'll see the Areopagus exists today at Mars Hill. This is the actual location the Bible says Paul had these conversations. 
And as they've looked through these different Greek places, I saw one in Greece, uh, one here in Athens, there was a regular way in which the statues were placed for Zeus and others, and you would regularly find tombs like this one to the unknown God. So Paul was standing next to something like this when he said, guys, you know this unknown God you're not sure about? Let me tell you some conclusions I've come to about this. And he began to dialogue on that and have conversations about that. And that's why Horizon is about friendship. I remember I had a friend who started attending Horizon, did not in any way believe in uh, the conclusions I'd come to. In fact, every time we talked across the street, he kind of egged me on about why he thought what I believed was stupid. He showed up to Horizon, started attending for a while. One of his best friends from college attends here, and he's like, I can't believe my friend's in church. How did you get him here? I didn't. I just, we became friends. And friends share what's important to friends, right? That doesn't mean you come to the same conclusions as your friends, but eventually, if you have a friendship, you're going to talk what's important. My faith is important to me, so I I shared it with my friend. He wanted to check it out. I have friends who are into bird watching. Now, I think that sounds like a total waste of time. Now, you may feel the same way about chess. I love playing chess. So this is my friend Jim. He was a chemist. And so we play chess together. In fact, I had four buddies who played chess. I have a four-way chess set. Four people play chess at the same time. You're a real chess nerd if you play four-way chess. So we love playing chess together. And one day, Jim tells me he loves bird watching. And I had bird watching in the, like, you know, only if you're 900 years old and have nothing to do, you're a bird watcher. But I respected Jim. And so Jim told me about bird watching and why he loved walking in nature. And I went, you know, I love being in nature. I can see how that aspect of bird watching I might like. And he loved pulling out the, the diagram. He loved, you know, looking at the different colors. And I went, no. He said, do you want to come sometime? I never did. I never took him up on bird watching, right? <laughs> so as a friend, he shared with me what he's passionate about. I gave it more credence than I would have otherwise. But I decided not to do it. I'm not a bird watcher. And the same thing at Horizon. You may come and not come to conclusions we've come to. But friends share with each other what's important to them. And then they decide, well, it's not my thing. Or, you know, tell me more. And that's really the spirit of what Paul was doing here, saying, I have come to some conclusions about this unknown God I'd like you to know. The other thing Paul did is he encouraged people to seek and explore at their own pace. He says that directly to these folks here. He says, you know, the God, now notice he's going to use very deep, he's not going to quote the Bible once here, very deep philosophy and explanation about the God who's unknown. God who made the world. He's using the ontological argument and the teleological argument. God made everything and everything in it is the God I'm talking about. He does not dwell in temples with hands. And Paul's saying, all these statues that you're worshiping, let's think for a moment. If you made the statue, it can't be the thing that made you. Doesn't that make sense? Whatever this God is that really made us, it can't be something we've made. The uncaused cause uh, argument is basically what he's using from philosophy. Nor is he worshipped with man's hands. In other words, God can't need anything. If, if a God needs something from you, he's not a very good God. The God I'm talking about is self-sufficient. As though he needed anything. Since the God I'm talking about should be somebody who gives all life and breath and all things. Now why did God give us breath and all things, the God I'm talking about? So that we would seek after him and grope for him and search for him and find him. So he encourages people to grope and to seek and to discover and to find. Several years ago, I invited my friend Don Byerly uh, to speak here. Don is an Arctic explorer and agnostic. And for years, he thought Christianity, Bible, Bible-believing people were idiots. And I'm not saying that we don't have a lot of that. But he began to say, I want to go on an investigation. So this book, Surprised by Faith, was his journey. He shared it a couple times at our church. 
where he began to look at the different religions and see that all gods aren't the same. Some are impersonal, the force, Hinduism, pantheism. Some religions teach that God is good and evil, like pantheism, Hinduism. There's a good side of the force and a bad side of the force. God can be in a rape, and he can also be in a kiss with your spouse. He said, wow, something in me doesn't ring true that God's good and evil. So he looked at another type of, of view of God, which is that God is always transcendent or separate from evil, held by Muslims, Judaism, and Christianity. He said, you know, the idea that God is always good and his creation is, is out of whack evil makes a lot more sense that God is both good and evil. Hmm. And he reasoned his way through. He looked at the differences then between, is God, is God personal? Is he a, a, an energy you know? Or is he a person you can know? Fundamental difference in religions. And so if you're ever on that journey of groping and seeking, I would just encourage you to take that journey seriously. To say, hey, I, I don't want to wait till I die to get answers. I want to, as best I can, be intentional. I might be surprised by faith if I begin that journey to grope for him. The last thing that's really intriguing here is that in order to help thinkers believe, Paul used the music and literature of the culture to start spiritual conversations. He didn't sing Christian songs. He quoted the songs of the Greeks, the poetry of the Greeks, to start spiritual conversations. He says to them, your own poets have said, I read your literature, I've read your philosophy, I listen to music you listen to. Your poets have said, quote the song, we are also his offspring. Don't even our own music says that we are, are children of God? Isn't there some God that which we're the children of? Because that's not Zeus and that's not Demeter. There's something in us. Even our songs speak to something that we wish that we were God's children. And therefore, he builds his case. So if you ever wonder, like, why we don't do religious songs at our exploring service, here's why. We use the literature and the culture, the music of the culture that you or your friends listen to that isn't churchy. And we go, huh, I've never thought of that song by the Rembrandts. I will be here for you. Boy, there's something in that. I want somebody to be there for me. That song about seeking. They call me the seeker. Wherever I'm at, I'm seeking something. There's something in there. Wow, what am I seeking? So we use the music from the culture, not religious music, in this service to start spiritual conversations. Deep spiritual conversations. And here's our template for doing that. Paul does it several times. Jesus does it several times. He quotes Aesop's fables several times. Jesus regularly practices this. But that's why we use the music we do. And if you love religious music, if you want to sing songs to God, we have two services that are committed to that to equip you on how to worship and take communion and sing songs to God. We love that too. That's why we have 50% of our services do both. So that's one of the ways we're trying to help thinkers believe. And again, that's behind the curtain, why we do what we do. The second thing what we do, which I won't spend as much time on, is how do we help believers think? That's the second part of our, our mission statement. That's what we're really all about. How do we help believers think? Well, later on in that passage, Paul travels down to another area called Berea. You may have heard of Berean Christian bookstores, maybe sometime when you're going through a mini mall. They pretty much all closed because of Amazon now, but in case you come across one. Berea was a, a town, and that town was known for a type of person. These were deep Bible veterans who loved reaching and studying the Bible. When Paul came to Berea, he used a very different approach. Immediately, Paul and Cyrus came to Berea, and they, they found people very different from the, from the Greeks. They were fair-minded than those who were in Thessalonica, in that here's the kind of audience he had. 
They received the word of God with all readiness. Man, we, yeah, we believe in the Bible. Now tell me more about it. Yeah, we, we believe that. Now, how do, I, how do I incorporate resurrection into my life? Yeah, I believe that. But what does it mean for God to be my, my master and, and, and be in control of my life? They also were in the Bible every day, these people in Berea. They searched the scriptures daily, every day. A pastor would say something, a rabbi would say something. Well, I don't know about that. And they would go and check it out in their own Bible. They didn't wait for the priest or the pastor to tell them what to believe. They wanted to be equipped how to get the information themselves. And they wanted to find out. I love this. They're still seeking, by the way. They wanted to seek and find out if the things Paul were saying were true. And so Paul creates this equipping environment to help believers think through their beliefs. Think through how to apply it. Think through how to... um, Put it into action in their life. And there's the three things we're trying to do at our equipping service. Prepare you to be ready to incorporate the Bible into your life. To incorporate you to learn how to search the scriptures and understand it on your own. And learn how to find out if things are true or not. And many of them believed. Not all of them, by the way. Many people believed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm coming to some of these conclusions. Yeah, I'm learning how to be a better husband. I'm learning how to be a better wife. I'm learning how God's spirit could, could work in this area of worry in my life or people pleasing in my life. And notice, not also a few of the Greeks are listening to this. Prominent women. These are people, upper class people that Paul's speaking to. Paul is challenging leaders in his community to change the world. And they're fascinated that they're not hearing some unexplained, unintelligent communication of this. They're intrigued. I want to know more about this. I love the environment that Paul is creating here. And so that's really what we try to do as a church. We want to make this a place that you comfortably, you can believe whatever you want, do whatever you want, go to whatever pace you want, we're here, we're yours to explore. But we want to help you dig with and wrestle with challenging Bible teaching by creating environments that help thinkers believe, and in this case, help believers think. I remember coming into a, the 10 o'clock service, I was greeting some folks, I love to walk back and forth between services to greet folks, and as I was greeting people, this husband and wife ran past me about six months ago, and I said, hey, and so I was about to greet somebody else, and they both turned on a dime. Hey, Jed. Yeah. I didn't recognize him. She says, thank you. For what? She said, thank you for this two-service design. I'm like, really? Sounds like a pastor story, doesn't it? Um, I said, really? She said, you know what? I love coming to 850. I love getting my worship on and going verse by verse through the Bible. And I'm telling you, if you didn't have an exploring service, there is no way we could go to church together. And he looks at me, he's like, mm-hmm. I came to that service once. Mm, that's too much for me. And he said, but I really appreciate the way in which you respect the different places we are. And that, that meant a lot to me. Last week, we had a, a training for our greeters uh, over at the Urban Grill. And so I got a text from John. He wanted me to go over and say some things. And he knows how to motivate me because John knows my next step. So the first part of the text was bacon. Bacon. <laughs> Candied bacon, I'll even add. And so I went over there and got a chance to talk to our greeters, many of which they were greeted by somebody 10 years ago, 6 years ago. And the reason they volunteer in the parking lot, the reason they uh, you greet, greeted multiple times before you get here is we want you to feel warm and welcome and loved. And people were greeted because somebody cared for their kids 3 years ago so they could be in church and they're the ones now serving your kids. And we hope in the same way you'll say, hey, I want to create that kind of environment for folks. Well, as I was talking, this uh, one couple said to me, they said, uh, man, you know what? One of the things our son said to us is that, hey, we are so lucky to be at a church like this where the Bible's taught so well and where it's applicable. And 
I said, well, I really appreciate that. He said, no, we are really lucky because we've been to a lot of other churches. We either don't learn anything about the Bible or you learn stuff about the Bible but you have no idea how to apply it. We so appreciate the way Horizon's team tries to do that. And I'm not saying we always do it well, but we aspire to be the best Bible teaching location in the country every week at all of our services where you can learn what the Bible says, why it says it, and how to incorporate that into your life. So that's a little peek behind the scenes. What are we trying to do? Help thinkers believe and helping believers think. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're the only church in the country that has a two-service design, to my knowledge, on, on the weekends. That's why we have two different services and two different bands and you know, twice the programs, because we believe in people's spiritual education. So what's the application for us today? Well, it is very simple. I would like you to take advantage of us and our environments. We've created these environments. We hope to serve you. If we can do better, let us know how. But take advantage of them. Which means if you attend our exploring service and this is working fine for you, well, just keep coming. Or maybe you're saying, you know what, I want to invite a friend. So maybe inviting a friend would be the next step for you to take advantage of our exploring environment. Maybe it's passing out a CD. Many of you have said, man, I pass out these CDs all the time to people I'm in my counseling office, to people who are in my business who are going through a marriage issue. Somebody I was talking about the other day is having a parenting issue. This was so helpful. Use the CDs. Pass out the website. We hope these are tools that you can bless your friends with. As we've talked about our video services coming up, we hope you'll be able to send a video link to a YouTube service. will also be helpful. But take advantage of that. Now, if you've never been to our equipping service, I'd invite you to take advantage of our equipping service. You might go once and go, too much for me. Some people say, Chad, I don't care that I want to come there. I'm not getting up at 8.50 in the morning. If it does not work for my family, and I'm not coming on Saturday. That's okay, too. So grab a CD. Use it as kind of a midweek Wednesday uh, shot in the arm spiritual. Uh, if you're not really getting into the Bible yourself, listen to the CD. It's sort of an extra message you can listen to each week. And it's, it's just sitting out there uh, on the CD rack. So use that. Take advantage of us. Take advantage of that opportunity. You can go to our website, horizoncc.com. Uh, click on media downloads. There's 15 years of Bible teaching. As I explained in the last service, I've been tracking uh, that we cover the entire Bible over 10 years. And so if you want to know, hey, I always wondered what the book of such and such is about, you can look it up. We've been covering the Bible for the last 15 years to understand some of the most difficult and challenging parts of it. Things about marriage, things about parenting, things about leadership. And maybe it's connecting. You're saying, Chad, I don't really care about that. I just want to make some friends. You know, we just had 100 plus men go through a men's study that finished last weekend. And we're going to start that up again in January. We say, I'd like to have some real friends I can talk about more than just sports and weather with and business. Maybe you want to create some friends. We have women's events. Horizon Women's Presents events that came out last week. There's just lots of ways in which we want to help you get connected to build some friendships around here. And I would say also if you want to take advantage of our giving environments. Last week we had a giving tree. And we do this. We've been doing this for 15 years. And this year we revitalized the giving tree. So it's not just uh, additional things that we don't do the rest of the year. The giving tree is now connected to all the things we do year-round. We work with inter-parish ministries year-round. We work with City Gospel year-round. We work with Happy Church year-round. We work with Back-to-Back year-round. We work with um, Belize year-round. So now what's on the giving tree this year are things related to the things we do the rest of the year anyway, all of our global serving opportunities. Last week, we announced some ornaments that you could take to give to those different endeavors that we work with as a church. And one weekend, all of them were gone. We had so many gifts coming in here, all of the families down at Happy Church, all, all of those in City Gospel and our parish, that we had to go and get more. We said, oh my goodness, this was supposed to last four weeks. Our congregation is so generous, we actually filled up the tree, or, or emptied the tree, I guess. So we filled it back up again at the rear atrium if you want to give. So take advantage of opportunities to give. We know you give in lots of ways, but to give as a family, to give as a community. 
And maybe one of the ways you want to give, I had an incredibly humbling uh, moment happen last week. I got done with the 850. I was on my way to the 10, and somebody called me to the hearth room. I got into the hearth room, and this is a woman that I had an opportunity to walk through a, a deep pastoral issue. One of the things we as a team, we get to be in the, really the trenches with people. We know people's secrets and their marriage. We get to be walk through the valley of the shadow of doubt with people. I can't tell you how many funerals I've done in this room. This was a phone call I made when there was a tragic accident. Her husband had passed away this year at a very young age. And I talked to both of her kids who had lost her dad. So I thought it was a pastoral call just to follow up. She has an envelope in her hand and she says, Chad, since the funeral, a lot of money came in and I wasn't sure what God wanted me to do with this money. I thought maybe she wanted to go to the giving tree or something like that. She said, I want this to be part of the legacy that my husband had. Last week as you were speaking about trying to raise $750,000, this is not going to get you very far, but this is a lot of money to me. And I really feel like God wants me to give this money on behalf of my husband to putting in video systems to be able to have more people learn the Bible on behalf of my husband's memory. She placed that envelope in my hand and it was like holding something sacred. I mean like almost too sacred to touch kind of sacred. And you know, I've had a lot of checks in my hand that have been sacred gifts. I've had some three-figure checks in my hand, some four-figure checks in my hand over the years of people who really believe what Horizon's doing. I've even had a couple five, six, and one seven-figure check in my hand of people who believed in the work God is doing. And this was as sacred as any of those. In fact, God prompted me to say, can I tell you a story? She said, sure. This is, this is only a nerdy Bible person like me would tell this story. But here's a story that I felt like God prompted me to tell. I said, King David was once cornered by Saul. There's no way to get back to his hometown of Bethlehem. But he really was just dying to drink from his favorite spring. So he turns to his men, who he sacrificed with, who fought together, they battled together. He turned to his men and said, you know what, I would do anything for a drink from that spring from Bethlehem. Just kind of amusing. His men look at each other that night, knowing they're going to have to battle through all of Saul's army that are out to kill them. And they decide, we're going to get our leader that drink of water. (laughs) So these men sneak their way through King Saul's army. They get to Bethlehem and they fill up this flask from the spring. I wouldn't be able to explain a spring that David remembered tasting as a young lad. They then battle their way back through King Saul's army, surprise David, and they gather together all the men, these band of brothers, and they look at him and say, surprise. We went to Bethlehem this week or this night and we got the drink from that spring at great risk to your life. And David is so overwhelmed by the love of his men, so overwhelmed at the risk they took on something he wanted, that he takes the water out, and you're either going to think this is crazy, or you're going to think this is sacred. But in the Jewish custom, there's something called a drink offering, where you'd pour out your, your best wine, but instead of drinking, you'd pour it out as saying, this is so sacred I can't drink it, it's only for God. David did what's called a drink offering. He took this water. didn't even taste it. He goes, guys, the risk this took, what this says about your love for me, I can't even drink it. It's so sacred. And the men gather around in the ceremony and they pour the water out on the ground to God and they just look at each other and thank God for their friendship, for their sacrifice, for the way they believe in each other. I shared that story. I said, I got to tell you, I want to pray over this envelope. This is a sacred gift. Pour it out before God. So I don't know what God will call you to do, 
But I hope you take advantage of us. Be part of the giving things we're doing in the community. Be part of the ways we're serving people in the community. Be part of ways we're helping create environments for people to, to be equipped or explore. But I hope today as you get a little peek behind the corner, we hope that these environments will help you learn to love God and learn others better. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this place. Thank you for just a real place for real people. They're on a real journey. And God, teach us how that we can continue to become the very best of ourselves in the journey you've called us to. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here today.